Let's pray. Our good and faithful Father, we praise you for who you are. You are sovereign God, creator and sustainer of all. And you are the righteous judge. But you are also merciful and compassionate, very patient, full of faithful love and ready to forgive. We surrender this time to you and we ask you to help open our hearts and our minds to whatever you have for us. I thank you today, especially for the men and the fathers that are here. I thank you for men who, like Jonah, are signs among us of your faithfulness and your mercy. We love them, we love you, and we invite you to minister to our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. After Pastor Josh's sermon last week, we left Jonah in the belly of the big fish. But in order to understand Jonah and the whale, we have to go back and remember some things from chapter one. Basically, we have to revisit Jonah's descent. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, get up and go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry out against it, for their evil has come to my attention. Immediately, Jonah got up to go down to Joppa. He went down into the ship and he lay down and went to sleep. After a great storm, he eventually had to be hurled down by the sailors into the sea. He sank down deeper and deeper into the sea until he had descended down all the way to the gates of death. He was completely and utterly isolated, alienated, and alone, down in the depths of darkness and chaos. Jonah fervently and wholeheartedly rejected God's word, and he boldly and strategically disobeyed God's command. But why? Jonah seems to be engaging in some kind of protest for justice. He is willing to communicate his truth to power, even if that power is the creator of land and sea. His disobedience is a refusal to prophesy to the great power that is Nineveh, not because he does not want to see that city destroyed. We will see in chapter four, in a couple of weeks, that the anticipation of Nineveh's annihilation makes Jonah gleeful. No, Jonah is just all too familiar with God's character and God's word. He recalls the prophet Jeremiah's declaration. God says, at any time I may announce that I will dig up, pull down, and destroy a nation or kingdom, but if that nation, I warned, turns from its evil, then I'll relent and not carry out the harm I intended for it. Jonah cannot stomach the idea of warning the Ninevites. They do not deserve warning. Their evil is past the point of words. They are beyond redemption. If he refuses to go to them, then perhaps he can seal their fate, and the people of Nineveh will most certainly perish. But no matter what happens, at least he can make sure that he is not the one to warn them. For some reason, God has commanded Jonah to go to the very people that he can't stand the most. God asks him to go to the one place that he just can't and won't go. Thus, Jonah finds himself in the impossible position of having to avoid those people by having to flee God. But is Jonah wrong in his anger? This story does not tell us exactly why Jonah hates the people of Nineveh, and I think Ben will explore that more next week. But what we do know is that the people of Nineveh were so evil that their wickedness could not escape God's attention. Perhaps that very evil has touched Jonah somehow. Jonah's just not ready to go there. 
The pain is still too deep and too raw. Maybe even hearing the name Nineveh is like pouring salt in Jonah's open wound. The hatred he feels, perhaps it is justified by oppression and or by very real suffering. So Jonah protests. In order to keep his hatred and his righteous indignation, Jonah has to leave his home, his family, his friends, and his entire community. He can't keep his hatred for those people and his relationships with his own people at the same time. At least not anymore. God has called him out. But he chooses hatred and bitterness and resentment. He tries to isolate himself on the ship. But the presence of his disobedient hatred gives rise to a storm that threatens everyone around him. He is a toxic force field of hate. The sailors have no choice but to cast him away from them. Jonah's disobedient hatred has itself become an evil that God cannot ignore. Jonah's righteousness has become like a filthy rag. Jonah's hatred for Nineveh's evil has now birthed in Jonah a new evil because evil begets evil. Jonah is becoming more and more like the thing that he hates. God is now moved to respond to Jonah's evil. God sends a storm and, and sailors to warn Jonah to proclaim to him the same word that he is unwilling to proclaim to Nineveh. Get up, call on God. Perhaps your God will spare us a thought so that we do not perish. But Jonah is not ready to give up his protest. He rejects this opportunity to turn from his evil hatred and his self-righteous disobedience. He would rather continue his descent away from God into the presence of darkness and chaos. And so he is hurled overboard, and he sinks deep into the sea. Jonah begins his descent into the belly of death. He is drowning in a sea of his own sin and chaos. Jonah must have understood, at least by the time he asked the sailors to hurl him overboard, that fleeing from the presence of God meant suicide. Fleeing God meant fleeing from life and all that is good and sweet and beautiful. It meant fleeing from love. It meant fleeing from light. As Jonah's lungs filled up with water, it is here at the lowest point in Jonah's journey that the big fish is introduced. But the Lord provided a large fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish, saying, I called to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. Instead of being swallowed up by death, Jonah is swallowed up by a big fish. After three days and three nights in the fetid, slimy, pitch-black darkness, at some point, Jonah has an epiphany. He was alive when he should have been dead. As Jonah's life was ebbing away, he remembered the Lord. He called out for help, and God sent a big fish to swallow up Jonah. Instead of being swallowed up by death and punishment, he was swallowed up by a divine vessel of grace and mercy that was sent to transport him through the chaos and the darkness and back to dry land. After three days and three nights in the fish, Jonah realized God had answered his prayer. He was alive when he should have been dead. Perhaps Jonah recalled the words of the prophet Joel. Return to the Lord your God, 
for he is merciful and compassionate, very patient, full of faithful love, and ready to forgive. Who knows whether he will have a change of heart and leave a blessing behind him. Instead of letting Jonah die in the chaotic sea of his own making, God relented from punishment and showed mercy. Why? Because that is who God is. And after three days and three nights of not being dead, Jonah is ready to praise. He is finally ready to pray a song of thanksgiving. He prays a psalm that reconnects him with God and with his people. Many scholars, including Dr. Aaron, just a couple of weeks ago, noticed that the language used in Jonah's prayer is different than the language that is used in the rest of the book. There are several theories to explain this, but they all have a basic theme. Jonah is getting these words from somewhere else. Jonah came from a people with a rich tradition of prayer. Jonah either prayed a psalm that he remembered that fit this situation, or he composed a prayer using the common form of a Thanksgiving psalm. Either way, when Jonah began to pray, it was the prayers of his people that rose up within him. So Jonah came from a people whose identity was shaped by a particular narrative. They were a chosen people who had been slaves in Egypt, but Yahweh, their God, was their deliverer. He brought them out of a dark and desperate hell with powerful signs and wonders. And Jonah came from a people who had a history of facing darkness and death and of being delivered by God. But Jonah also understood that this narrative of deliverance was both a corporate story and a personal story. His ancestor David had also been delivered from a near-death experience. In 2 Samuel 22, David prays, Death's waves were all around me. Rivers of wickedness terrified me. The cords of the grave surrounded me. Death's traps held me tight. In my distress, I cried out to the Lord. I cried out to my God. God heard my voice from his temple. My cry for help reached his ears. Let's compare David's psalm with Jonah's prayer. I called to the Lord out of my distress. The waters closed in over me. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped around my head. At the roots of the mountains, I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Yet you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. As my life was ebbing away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you and to your holy temple. Jonah knows how to pray. Jonah knows how to cry out to God in his distress. He knows that in his darkest, most desperate moment of despair, there have been others who have been there. Others who have been through the valley of the shadow of death, and they survived. They survived by calling out their laments to the one who made heaven and land and sea. They survived because God heard them and acted on their behalf. And so Jonah, no longer content to die alone and terrified in the depths of the pit, does what his people taught him to do, and God does for him what God had done for countless others. God delivers Jonah. But because Jonah has been taught how to pray, he knows that the psalm can't end with the victory of God. There must be some praise. There must be some gratitude, some thanksgiving. Psalms 33 through 5, Lord, you brought me up from the grave, brought me back to life from among those going down to the pit. You who are faithful to the Lord, sing praises to him. Give thanks to his holy name. His anger lasts for only a second, but his favor lasts a lifetime. But there is one more element 
that makes for a traditional deliverance psalm of thanksgiving. Vows. Jonah's people did not just have a history with God, they had a relationship with God. They were in a relationship with God, and like all real relationships, that relationship had obligations. Jonah had been disobedient. He understood that his thanksgiving must come with a willingness to obey God's word. Thanksgiving without obedience costs nothing and does not mean anything. So Jonah learned from his community that when God saves you from the grave, you praise, you offer thanksgiving, and you offer vows. Perhaps he remembered this psalm, Psalm 116. Death's ropes bound me, the distress of the grave found me. I came face to face with trouble and grief. So I called on the Lord's name. Lord, please save me. I'll keep the promises I made to the Lord in the presence of all God's people. The death of the Lord's faithful is a costly loss in his eyes. Oh yes, Lord, I am definitely your servant. I am your servant and the son of your female servant. You freed me from my chains, so I'll offer a sacrifice of thanksgiving to you, and I'll call on the Lord's name. I'll keep the promises I made to the Lord in the presence of all God's people, in the courtyards of the Lord's house, which is in the center of Jerusalem. So Jonah, leaning on the rich tradition of his people, ends his prayer like this. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed I will pay, Deliverance belongs to the Lord. Then the Lord spoke to the fish, and it spewed Jonah out upon the dry land. It's interesting to think about Jonah's experience in the sea from Jonah's perspective and then from God's perspective. I wonder if sometimes when we feel like we're in over our heads and we are surely drowning, when we find ourselves in a dark and confined space and we feel like we can barely breathe the thick air around us, I wonder when we are at our lowest point if God hasn't already sent a big fish-like submarine to pick us up and transport us right where we need to be. Perhaps when we are most uncomfortable and most at our wit's end, perhaps we are in the belly of the submarine and not in the belly of destruction. Perhaps that's what God sees from God's perspective. For those three days and three nights, when Jonah wasn't yet sure if he was going to live or die, he was already safe and secure in the very vessel that God was already using for his deliverance. And now I think we are getting to the heart of the matter. The worst experience of Jonah's life was going to become an essential aspect of his vocation. Whenever we think of Jonah, we think of Jonah and the whale. Jonah and God's vessel of deliverance. Jonah really can be anyone. Anyone who has ever run away from God. Anyone who has ever been so deeply wounded that they can't face their oppressor. Anyone with hatred and bitterness in their heart. Anyone who has been simply hurled into a sea of chaos. Anyone who has ever found themselves completely alienated, lost, and alone. Jonah is anyone who has ever really been face-to-face -face with darkness. Jonah's story is a human story because we have all been lost in some kind of darkness at some point, and we've all been wounded. Jonah reveals to us our human limitations, the limits to our love, the limits to our mercy, the limits to our forgiveness. Jonah shows us how far we are willing to run away from our neighbor. 
Jonah exposes our hubris in thinking that we can actually escape God's presence. Jonah shows us the fragility and the vulnerability of human life. But that fish, the big fish of deliverance, shows us something about God. 2 Peter 3.9, The Lord is not slow about his promise, as some think of slowness, but is patient with you, not wanting any to perish, but all to come to repentance. God does not delight in condemnation or judgment. God rejoices when any sinner turns from their wicked ways and repents. When Jonah pursued his disobedient journey into hatred and self-destruction, God sent the sea, the sailors, and a big fish. Was God trying to punish and destroy Jonah? Or was God demonstrating his great patience, not wanting Jonah to perish, but giving him every opportunity to come to repentance? Remember the words of the prophet Joel, Return to the Lord your God, for he is merciful and compassionate, very patient, full of faithful love, and ready to forgive. Who knows whether he will have a change of heart and leave a blessing behind him. God will always act like God. God is sovereign, and God is creator and sustainer of all. God's ways are right and good and true. There are very real consequences for being like Jonah and walking in some opposite way because God is a God of justice. And it is also at the same time true that if we will return to the Lord, God will always respond with mercy, compassion, patience, faithful love, and forgiveness. This was Jonah's experience in the big fish. For three days and three nights, God transported Jonah from death to life, from darkness to light. Jesus calls Jonah a sign. Matthew 12, 38 through 41. At that time, some of the legal experts and the Pharisees requested of Jesus, Teacher, we would like to see a sign from you. But he replied, An evil and unfaithful generation searches for a sign, but it won't receive any sign except Jonah's sign. Just as Jonah was in the whale's belly for three days and three nights, so the human one will be in the heart of the earth for three days and three nights. Jesus' solidarity with us humans is beyond all comprehension. Jonah's journey is simply the human journey, which we all experience one way or another because of our vulnerabilities. There is no human experience of death or darkness that Jesus was not and is not willing to take on in his own suffering. There is no dark pit, no valley of death, no torturous prison, no cave of alienation and loneliness that Jesus is not willing to descend into in order to truly be with us in our humanity. Every low place you've ever been, Jesus was there. Jesus went there with you. So Jesus is in solidarity with us, and Jesus is also greater than Jonah. See, Jesus is our big fish. Colossians 1, 13 through 14, Jesus has rescued us from the power of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Jesus is our transportation from death to life. Jesus didn't just descend into our dark chaos. Jesus overcame it and ascended into heaven. Look at what Paul says in Ephesians. Ephesians 4, 7 through 10. But each of us was given grace according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore it is said, when he ascended on high, he made captivity itself a captive. He gave gifts to his people. 
When it says he ascended, what does it mean but that he also descended into the lower parts of the earth? He who descended is the same one who ascended far above all the heavens, so that he might fill all things. Jesus' ascent into heaven has huge implications for us. We are freed from all our past, from our sins, from all the darkness and the weeds that try to entangle us. And on top of that, we are given gifts. The prophet Joel had asked the question, who knows whether God will have a change of heart and leave a blessing? Well, now we know. Yes, we know that through Christ, God has extended grace and mercy and forgiveness to any sinner that will call upon him. And yes, we get a blessing too. God calls us to participate in God's mission of reconciliation on this earth. God didn't just save Jonah's life. God gave Jonah the gift of purpose. God called Jonah a second time. Romans 11:29 for the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. God will change God's mind about punishment in order to extend mercy. But don't count on God to change God's mind about your calling. This is what God has to say about God's word. Isaiah 55. For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there until they have watered the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and succeed in the thing for which I sent it. God's not going to give up on you. God is relentless. One of the most beautiful things that Jonah's story teaches us is that God does not waste our experiences. Jonah's experience of disobedience, repentance, and deliverance is what exactly God is going to do in chapter 3 for Nineveh. Jonah just doesn't realize that his testimony says as much about God as it does about him. If God desired to deliver you, then God desires to deliver your neighbor too. If God responds to you with mercy and forgiveness, then that's not because you deserve it. It's not because you come from a certain kind of people. It's not because your church has a certain kind of DNA. It's because of who God is. Some of us might be running from God. Some of us might be right at this very moment protesting God's word and acting out in disobedience. Some of us might be past that point. We might right now be finding ourselves sinking deeper and deeper into the abyss, deeper and deeper into loneliness. We might be so lost in the depths of the sea that we don't know which way is up. Some of us right now might be sitting in the smelly, slimy, disgusting guts of a fish, and we need to be praising God because this current trial is exactly the thing that God is using to take us into the next step of our calling. Some of us might have stories already. We might be able to look back in our past and remember the exact moment when God rescued us from darkness. I have that story. I know many of us do. But what are we doing with it? Have we made the connection between our testimony and our calling? Because Jonah knew how to pray, he understood that deliverance meant at least two things, gratitude and obedience. If we have been saved by grace, we should say so. We should thank God out loud in front of folks. And we should return to the work that God has called us to as obedient servants. Paul puts it this way, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. God knows all our limitations, all our vulnerabilities and our sins, and God is working with us anyways. So wherever we find ourselves today, 
Jonah is a sign to us of the patient, steadfast love of God. God's grace and mercy do not cease. They are new every morning. God will not give up on you, and God will not take back God's calling over your life. Amen.